الجزيره بودكاست There's been rioting in Georgia's capital Tbilisi over a so-called foreign agent law which the government is moving through parliament. Opponents say it replicates similar measures in Russia while the EU and US have strongly criticized the plan. So what's behind the proposed legislation? I'm Mohammed Jamjoum and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast where we dissect, analyze and help define major global stories. All right, before we start, we did reach out for a representative of the Georgian government or a politician backing the legislation, but we're unable to get anyone to appear on the program. Let's bring in our guests now in London, Maximilian Hess, a fellow at the Foreign Policy Research, Research Institute, in Tbilisi, Helen Koshtaria, politician and founder of the Georgian opposition party Droa, and in Dublin, Donacha O'Bachaun author and professor of post-Soviet politics at Dublin City University. A warm welcome to you all, and thanks so much for joining us today on Inside Story. Helen, let me start with you today. What exactly is behind this legislation? Yeah, you have rightly outlined that this legislation is part of the overall context of Georgian shifting from its very important, uh, historically predetermined uh, European path. Over the 10 years of the current government, there have been serious question marks. Uh, what, what and who exactly is behind the Russian oligarch who is informally ruling this country, namely oligarch Bidina Ivanishvili? And after the war in Ukraine started, I think the questions have disappeared and the answer has become very clear. He is a Russian guy under Putin's control who is basically... Uh, moving Georgia into Russian direction and away from our European perspective, which has become even more realistic against the background uh, background of the Ukrainian war. Now, uh, all those uh, trends uh, have caused several rallies um, uh, throughout the year, but this legislation has uh, turned out to be a red line for many different types of groups in Georgia, be it po- political parties, even people who are quite loyal to the current government, like the current president, or uh, like civil groups, media and others. And what we have seen yesterday and several days before was a very united, uh, very overwhelming um, unification of all pro-Western forces saying that, no, Georgia is not going to be like Russia. We are not going to be foreign agents. Those organizations who are getting financial funds to strengthen Georgian democracy will not be called foreign agents like it's done in Russia and like in Russia, those organizations are disappearing. And we're committed to our European path. And that was the main, and he's still being, I'm now sitting at the central um, uh, street office and uh, uh, watching uh, many groups of young people rallying to the center, uh, and it, it, it's continuing. So people are committed to defend their own European future. Maximilian, was it expected that this bill would pass so overwhelmingly uh, during its first reading? Well, um, firstly, I, I think it's worth noting that, you know, uh, Helen's point is exactly correct about the way that this law has been interpreted. Russia has had foreign agent laws for the last 10 years that it's used to shut down a whole variety of uh, independent groups, NGOs, essentially anyone critical. 
This law here has been proposed initially by a faction that nominally broke away from the ruling Georgian Dream Party, uh, which is called People's Power, but is essentially very much still controlled by them and allied with uh, Ivanishvili, the man behind the scenes, former prime minister, who still dominates Georgian politics. Uh, the government had sort of played fast and loose with this. Initially, it had said the vote wouldn't be held uh, yesterday, then tabled the vote, moved it ahead. But Georgian politics are highly fractious. A large portion of the opposition does boycott um, uh, the legislature as well, in particular over such controversial measures. Um, so the government has the votes in there to get them through, but engages in a lot of stage management and kabuki to make it look like democratic processes are being followed. Donica, um, we know that Brussels is considering EU membership for Georgia. If this bill does ultimately become law, how much would that impede Georgia's hopes of closer ties with the EU and, and of potential membership? Well, the EU representatives have made it clear that it would fundamentally jeopardize uh, Georgia's European perspective. We have to remember that uh, Georgia applied for EU candidate status uh, back in February, along with um, Ukraine and, and Moldova. And unique among that troika of applicants, it was turned down for EU candidate status and instead given something of a substitute called the an acknowledgement of their European perspective. And they were given kind of a, a list of, of, of things they would have to, to achieve before getting EU candidate status. So that had already separated them from other applicant countries like Ukraine and Moldova. And there's a suspicion that the Georgian government is, while formally reflecting the will of the Georgian people to join the European Union, its heart is not in the process. And acts like these today, which the European Union have clearly said, you are jeopardizing the European path, which you yourself say you would like to travel on, is, is, is illustrative of the fact that the Georgian government is in itself not committed uh, to joining Euro-Atlantic structures. And people have argued why that is, and some have traced it back. Uh, as Deputy uh, Kostari has mentioned, to the fact that uh, Georgia is ruled de facto by um, an oligarch, Bidzina Ivanishvili, who made his money, uh, his billions, uh, indeed, in Russia in the 1990s, and has uh, power, but not responsibility in Georgia. Maximilian, I, I saw you shaking your head um, with a lot of what uh, Donica was saying there. Uh, did you want to jump in? Oh, no, sorry, I, I, I was nodding in agreement. Sorry, that's um, what I meant. You were I nodding in agreement. But, Please go ahead. Um, <laughs> yes, but um, the, the point on uh, Ivanishvili and where he stands, I think this really gets to the heart of the issue. Uh, Donahue's point that you know he's taking certain actions to stop uh, Georgia from proceeding down its European path uh, is a very fair and just comment. The question is, is to what extent is he loyal to uh, or supportive of Putin and the current Kremlin? And that, I think, is a very nuanced issue because while, yes, he did make his money in Russia in the 90s before Putin came to power. Uh, Putin did allow him to leave uh, Georgia with his money in, in around 2008, uh, allow leave Russia for Georgia uh, with his money to sell off a number of interests. But Ivanishvili really puts his own interests before anyone else's. And he sees that the government needs to avoid getting drawn in 
to the sort of pro-Western uh, narrative. He has stopped the government from implementing sanctions, uh, although the majority of Georgian financial institutions comply uh, with them. And, you know, in Georgia, if you go shopping in Tbilisi, many places will even say, you know, you have to agree that Russia is an occupier uh, if you even want us to serve you. So the public support is very strong there. Uh, but he's refrained from that because he sees it as potentially risking Georgia being brought into the war with Russia. Jo Russia continues to occupy 20 percent um, of Georgia's territory. The breakaway regions, South Ossetia and Abkhazia, are effectively uh, fully controlled by the Russian military. So he is trying to sort of play a game with both sides. The question is, is, you know, is it really because he wants to be friends with Moscow or he wants to protect his own position? That is a very difficult question to answer. But as actions like this continue to happen in the eyes of many of Georgia's uh, youth in particular, but a large section of the population, he effectively is leading himself to be branded as uh, Putin's puppet. And that is a very dangerous situation in a country where anti-Kremlin sentiment is extremely widespread uh, over the legacy of the 2008 war, the continued mm. occupation and Russian efforts to destabilize Georgia. Helen, uh, the Georgian president has said that she's prepared to to veto uh, this bill. Um, uh, but apparently, as I understand it, that can be overridden by parliament uh, eventually. I want to ask you, as far as parliamentary procedure, where does the bill go from here before it would actually become law? Because things seem very tense in, in parliament right now. I mean, there were there were fistfights uh, in, in the last session and, and people are quite angry about this. So so what happens next? Well, it, it takes several steps before it's finalized, but that's not the core of the issue. And as, as my colleagues have just outlined, the whole story is about the context, what kind of rule in Georgia we have. Basically, this guy, Bezina Evanishvili, no matter what's the motivation behind him, whether it's a direct instructions from the Kremlin or is his motivation to do anything uh, to just keep power um, uh, it's clear that uh, he, the influence of Russia over the years, and especially after the war in Ukraine, has been increasing in this country. He's uh, pursuing a Russian propaganda. He has created a special group uh, within his party, which is all the time predominantly occupied with attacking European Amer American ambassadors, attacking Euro um, Ukrainian officials attacking Ukraine and making the point that uh, Ukraine is losing the war, Russia is strong, West is not supporting Ukraine. So all those narratives that are very close to what 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 Russia is saying. So uh, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, he has captured all, all the state institutions. What we we are seeing very much like in Russia, we have formerly the parliament, formerly we have division of powers, formerly we have prosecutor's office, formerly we have the court system, but basically we have none of them because functionally they're totally under his personal control. We have political prosecutions admitted by all international organizations. For example, head of the media owner, Nick Varamia, was arrested right before the a decision of the EU about the candidacy. The third president of Georgia is in jail and his human rights and health are, are, are totally violated. And we had over and over uh, time, many, many political prosecutions. So basically all the institutions are under his control. And whether it's veto or whether it's he fears debates in the, in the parliament, if he decides to do so, the law will be enforced. Now, the whole issue is to what extent Georgian public will protest 
and resist not to accept this technical formal adoption of the of the law. Uh, and I think yesterday and the days before have shown that it was kind of last drop, that people are fed up with this kind of uh, informal rule, with this increase of Russian influence, and people are serious about taking the resistance. I don't know how, how mm. long it will take, but it's clear that no government in Georgia has managed to derail people's commitment to mm. European future. Uh, Donica, uh, it looks like you want to jump in. I will give you that chance, uh, but I do want to ask you about the fact that Helen mentioned these protests that are ongoing, and I wanted to ask you how significant the protests are and if you expect that they will be growing. The protests are significant, certainly, and I think that there is a momentum behind them. So I would expect that they they, they might grow uh, as as the days and and weeks progress. But these are these are not solitary protests. There have been protests, you know, on on a number of issues over many years now. I mean, this government has been in power for a decade, and and uh, you might say there's an important context to this in Georgian political history. I mean, protests of course of course occur in every country, but in Georgia they have a, a tendency to trigger major revolutionary shifts in government, even if you go back to, to 1989 when Soviet troops killed uh, civilians uh, on Rustavelli Avenue, exactly where the protests are taking place now, um, you know, that led ultimately to a, a complete power shift in Georgia and indeed in the Soviet Union ultimately. And similarly, the successors, uh, Gamsa Kurdia, Edward Shevardnadze, even Saakashvili, all learned to uh, be, be wary of these huge protests that would take place um, as a catalyst for, 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 you know, regime change, for government losing control. Uh, and they've all taken place in this exact same spot, Rustavelli Avenue, Chitadze Street at the side of Parliament. Uh, it's been a traditional site for protests. So no government can, I guess, you know, ignore these types of protests. And the level of force that's been used at these protests, recent protests, uh, has been indiscriminate, has been disproportionate. It's been a major own goal, not only domestically. It doesn't, it doesn't display power. Uh, it actually displays weakness, that they're not willing to enter into a dialogue with people who have legitimate protests or with their partners internationally. I mean, from the EU's perspective, you know, they're looking at Hungary right now, for example, and Viktor Orban. They don't want another authoritarian government joining the European Union. That's the way they're looking at Georgia. Georgia's only of interest to the European Union if it's an oasis of liberal democratic values in, mm. in a kind of a desert of authoritarian rule in the post-Soviet sphere. If it becomes just another post-Soviet authoritarian governance, it loses its interest to the European Union. And I think that's, mm. that's digested by many people in Georgia, which is why you're seeing this very, I think, emotional uh, response that they feel that they're losing their way uh, to Europe and, and are, are willing to defend uh, European values in Georgia, uh, as I said, even if it requires very, very strong protests. Uh, Helen, you were speaking before about the protests that are ongoing in the streets. I want to ask you about a different type of protest. Uh, in February, you had dozens of media outlets and civil society groups that announced that if the law are, is passed, eventually, they are not going to comply with it. Obviously, there's a lot of concern from critics of this proposed legislation that this would have a chilling effect, a detrimental effect, potentially, on, on media, on journalists, NGOs, civil society. Um, what would happen to these groups if this does become law and, the, and they don't comply with it? Well, uh, first of all, at this point, we have to do all we can to 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 resist to make sure that uh, they'll be scared into not adopting it. Um, that's one thing. But secondly, if they still do that, I think there are two passes that we should follow. One is disobedience, and if all the uh, civil society organizations, media, everyone, uh, just refuses to comply, 
uh, it will be very difficult for them to implement the role to, to the law. Of course, they can still follow uh, with some restrictive measures, but uh, the total disobedience will will have a serious effect. And the other um, goal that we have to um, the road that we have to go down is um, our international friends. And we have been discussing the possible sanctions against the personal sanctions about those people who are against the West, who are against Ukraine, who are actually undermining Georgian democracy, uh, uh, or the personal sanctions against the the uh, Ivanishvili himself. So international pressure is also an, an important factor. And here we should see the whole picture, uh, also geopolitics, that it's not just a tiny problem in a tiny country, but in the region, I think Bizina Ivanishvili is a remaining oligarch under Putin's influence. And if we are talking about the war in Ukraine, if we want to get rid of Russian influence in the region uh, and, and find some new solutions to the region, then I think uh, the defeating the, the Ivanishvili type rulers um, is extremely important for our friends too. So I think there are these two ways, in, the resistance, disobedience, and international pressure. Maximilian, from, from your vantage point, um, how much of a chilling effect do you think this proposed legislation could have when it comes to Georgian civil society groups, NGOs, even journalists? I mean, what, what do you think could happen? Uh, you know, I do really worry that it could have a very chilling effect. You know, Georgia has an incredibly vibrant um, media sphere. A lot of outlets are heavily politicized, either in favor of the government or against it, but a number of independent outlets as well, many of which do get international funding and are supported by other NGOs or, or um uh, other foreign governments. Um, but this has really helped set Georgia apart and made Georgia such a leader uh, in the region in terms of its media vibrancy, civil society, and the like. And there have been a number of reports, even a number of the uh, officials in the current Georgian Dream government, you know, went through a lot of these programs, were supported by them. Uh, you know, the real risk that I worry about going forward is Russia and Putin in particular has long been very adept at using corruption and political elites across the former Soviet space uh, to try to lean on them and get the kind of action that he wants, um, even in countries that do uh, you know, have economic relations with the West, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, um, for example. And then what we may really see happen out of this is that Georgia's independence essentially uh, falls because it stops its Euro-Atlantic agenda. Uh, and then the, the current Georgian government sort of left with nowhere else to look. And they, of course, they're has been a huge amount of Russian money coming in to Georgia over the last year. Russians who have fled the conflict uh, and the draft in Russia, bringing their own employees, bringing their wages. Uh, but of course, you know, accusations that Georgia could potentially serve as a, a loophole for sanctions as well. And, uh, you know, with Ivanishvili being really the only individual calling the shots, it's a, a, a potential very dark day. And this could really weaken the ability to have opposition against him and raise the prospects of the next election next year, which there were already some you know, criticisms of the most recent one, uh, will be less democratic. And that would be a huge tragedy uh, for the Georgian people, first and foremost, uh, but for the wider region where Georgia has so long served as a, a beacon of hope and progress and where many Georgians want to have it continue to play that role going forward. Uh, Donna, I saw you uh, reacting there to some of what Maximilian was saying. Did you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very dispiriting now uh, for, for many, many Georgians because 
they don't see an exit strategy from this. The government has huge resources at its disposal. And then you have Ivanishvili's personal fortune, which runs into billions. So those things combined make it very difficult for any opposition to emerge. And the opposition, the politically organized opposition, is fragmented. Uh, one of their key leaders, of course, Misha Saakashvili, is in prison, something, again, which has attracted very negative attention in, in uh, the EU and in the West. And, and this law is seen as an attempt to, to you know, close out the small, you know, fragile elements of a vibrant civil society, which represent the only means for many people to critique uh, the government. I mean, the government have polarized society and divided it artificially into patriots who support the government. And anybody who is critiquing the government on issues of human rights, of democracy, of rule of law, is anti-Georgia and anti-church. And that is not only polarizing, but it's also untrue, because a lot of these uh, organizations depend on external funding for the simple reason that the government isn't going to fund organizations who are interested in promoting democracy and human rights and critiquing the government. Who's going to fund, for example, an organization like Transparency International, who are interested in looking at corruption uh, in society, if not external factors? So, so this is very dangerous. And I think most Georgians realize that it's a critical crossroads now for Georgia. Uh, they've seen the path to Europe open up with Ukraine and Moldova's candidate status being, being accepted. They see that this is possible for Georgia, but they see it being taken away, really, by the government's own actions, however they're motivated, but certainly those actions are detrimental to Georgia's European path. Helen, let me pick up on a point that uh, Donacha was, was making there and ask you about it. Uh, he was saying that when it comes to some of these groups, uh, NGOs, civil society groups, that, that they are dependent uh, upon foreign funding. I, I want to ask you about that. I mean, how, how, how necessary is it for these groups uh, uh, that, that monitor government activities, these, these NGOs, these civil society groups, um, how, how, how much are they dependent upon getting foreign funding to continue the work that they are doing? I think uh, the foreign uh, support and its support for uh, democratic values, right? It's a justice reform, it's human rights, it's basic human rights. Uh, it's like uh, many vital uh, human rights issues that are supporting the supported financially uh, by our partners. And it's, I would say now it's the only source that uh, makes them alive in this country, including our organizations, because uh, what the government did is uh, it's, it, we don't have a plain level field in either in politics or civil, you know, social life, <laughs> because the government has concentrated all the resources. They are pressuring businesses not to support uh, the uh, critical points of view. So there are basically no resources whatsoever uh, against the background that Bidina Ivanishvili has money more than Georgian budget. Uh, and he has all the institutions under his control. So it's exactly uh, aimed at killing uh, all the remaining resources of the critical mm. uh, organizations in Georgia. Mm. Uh, and that's why we all understand that that's the maybe last bastion of democratic uh, fight in Georgia uh, after prosecuting politically many political parties, after polarization, after propaganda and discreditation campaigns against uh, politicians. Now the time has come to eliminate the critical media and uh, NGOs, but everybody understand that it's not just about NGOs, but it's about generally the future of democracy of this mm. country and future of Europe of this country. Maximilian, it looked to me like you uh, wanted to interject uh, a point, wanted to jump into the conversation. Go ahead. Yeah, no, um, just one quick point to uh, add to that is that, you know, the 
this is an incredibly broadly worded piece of legislation. Uh, you know, a, almost any kind of interaction with foreign funders, foreign donors, not being sure who things are being sailed to could cause one to register. Uh, you then or be required to register. Then you have to understand the language around it, specifically this use of foreign agent and the way that the government and a lot in particular of its parliamentary proxies uh, have spoken about this is one that uses the, for, the word foreign agent almost as akin to spy in a, in a way of trying to demean uh, those involved. The government has tried to defend itself occasionally by saying, oh, this is a semantic issue and, you know, this is just our version of what in the U.S. is known as the Foreign Agents Registration Act, a very narrow piece of legislation that applies to lobbying activities in Washington or here in the U.K. where there's also an attempt to build up a lobby register. And that kind of activity is very good and should be welcomed. And when one is directly lobbying mm. and getting money to try to advance a bit of legislation that should be disclosed. Mm. But this is really a version similar to what I mentioned, uh, you know, had been introduced in Russia more than a decade ago, an right. incredibly broad brush, essentially seeking to be used as a tool to tar mm. and denigrate people and remove them from the political space. Maximilian, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We just have about a minute left. Uh, Donica, I just want to turn to you one last question. Um, how do you foresee this uh, playing out going forward? Well, as I said, it's very dispiriting uh, for people who are not supporters of the government right now in Georgia, who are advocating for a more inclusive and more democratic uh, and more human rights orientated society, uh, because, as I said, they can't see an exit strategy. But as I've said, the, the, the longer view of Georgian history is that oppositions don't usually win power, governments lose them, and they lose them by not reflecting the will of the Georgian people. And as, as has been said by Deputy Kostari, that has been consistently uh, over many decades been uh, towards Europe. Uh, they have a choice between you know Europe or Russia and the, the majority of Georgian people consistently have been shown to, to mm. want to go the European path. The government are taking them away from that path and that mm. is something that will ultimately rebound in the government and therefore the government itself, I think, will, will in, the sh in, mm. in the medium term at least, uh, its position in Georgian society in question. All right. Well, we have run out of time, so we're going to have to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much to all of our guests, Maximilian Hess, Helen Kostaria, and Donacha Obahan. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Osama Alouni, Fungi Nguyen, and Jimmy Kerehun. Studio sound was by Aston Goodison. The program was edited by Yorgos Florokapis, Linda Nguyen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next episode. Thank you.